there. Okay, so <clears throat> I want to roll into this next sermon series. I'm going to title it, We Got This. And, and what I want to do is I want to take the month of November and talk about like some positive mindsets that we can uh, bring into our lives inspired by the Bible to face whatever it is that we're facing. This is not going to be a series about COVID in the past two years, even though I can get to spiraling pretty quick. Like it just, you know, we've as a church on Sundays lost a lot of momentum on Sunday mornings and it's affected all our life differently and, and I can get the downward spiraling pretty quick, but, but I don't want to take another month to grovel in COVID. What I want to talk about is our positive mindsets for whatever we face in life. So looking at the Bible and a few Bible stories and scripture passages, and we're going to talk about building positive mindsets to get through whatever. We got this. So that's what's coming your way uh, this month. Now to start things off, let me talk about uh, how it applies to, to my life and some of the things that I hope to get from uh, this series. Uh, because these, these ultimately, I mean, I learn a lot and grow a lot through preparing uh, teaching series for, for you guys. Um, let's start with the title. Okay, I originally titled this, You Got This, because when I think about trials in life, I'm like, I got this, I got this. It's, it's about, you know, the, the only child in me, I'm 44 years old, the only child still rears his head quite a bit. I got this because when I'm going through difficult times, I think primarily about myself and what I can do. And I don't think about others. I think more about me. <clears throat> now, when times are good, I also think primarily about myself. It's an only child thing you wouldn't understand unless you're an only child. <clears throat> so I was sitting with Marcus. <clears throat> Man, I'm really <clears throat> needing to do that. <clears throat> that. So I originally titled this series, You've Got This. And then I was sitting with Marcus talking about how, you know, I just want to talk about how, you know, I, I can, I need to do whatever, 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 my me, 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 and you know, you got this and you, you, you. And he said, why don't we title this, We've Got This, because it's a communal thing. And I'm like, because that would be lame. We've got this. But the truth is, from a biblical standpoint, it is a communal thing. Because we are a family together, and we are getting through whatever together. And, and that's, you know, with the, with the Badleys going to Costa Rica to start um, changing lives there. Like, we're in this with them. And when I, last Monday, we buried Charlotte Newman, uh, laid her to rest. 20-year member of Polaris and her 40-year widower now, Dale, and, and we were with her every step of the way through cancer, and we're going to be with him as he builds a new life, whatever's next, moves forward. We are in this together. We've got this together, and so that's a change that I need to make. Like, I need to think more communal, so that's one thing. The other thing I need to, that I really need to work on as we go through this series is I need to personally, maybe you can relate, get past fighting negative with like a double negative. 
Like, I, I need to think positive instead of just fighting negative with negative. Let me give you an example. When, when I, um, I, like, my self-talk, when I'm going, when I'll, I'll be whining or whatever, the, the, first, the first thing I tend to say is kind of crude, sorry, but it's just everybody poops. Like, that's what I'll say to myself. Well, Alex, everybody poops. Like, I'm a da 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 Yeah, and, and then sometimes people come to me. I don't do a lot of counseling, and you'll see why. Because... <clears throat> People come to me and they're like, and I got this thing and this thing and this thing. I'm like, yeah, well, everybody poops. It's my way of saying, yeah, everybody's got their thing. You better get over it. <clears throat> Not exactly like a West Coast psychiatrist. Um, or the other thing I'll say is some variant of, well, suck it up, buttercup. Like, you know, I'll just complain to myself and whine about stuff. And, well, suck it up. Deal with it. Like, in, in, and while, the, like, you know, sometimes I, uh, people come back, like, like, sometimes they'll leave appalled, and other times they'll say, no, that's kind of what I needed to hear. But the truth is, like, I need to get past just minimizing feelings and to a positive, like, mindset. And so that's what I want to do with this series as well, is talk about not just minimize. This isn't about just saying, yeah, well, it's hard for everybody. We want positive, God-honoring, Bible-inspired mindsets to get through whatever it is we're facing. Now, before I get to the Bible, uh, let, let me talk about just some real-life examples here. Because the truth is, uh, one of the things the Bible says is we should celebrate um, trials in life because they're like, they're like spiritual steroids. Like, we grow fastest spiritually when we're going through difficult seasons of life. And we need to recognize the potential power that any given setback has in life because it will ultimately make us better. So here's just two very real examples. James Earl Jones. Everybody knows James Earl Jones. His voice is one of the most recognizable voices in American culture. Well, he started out in life with a severe stuttering problem. He almost never spoke. He Functionally, he was like mute because he wouldn't speak because of his severe stuttering problem. But he worked through it, practiced his enunciation, hours, 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 hours of enunciation. And now he has this incredible voice that, like, we could hear him read the ingredients from bread. And it sounds amazing. Well, he probably wouldn't have that <coughs> if it weren't for his stuttering problem. He fought through the adversity, and it made him better. Here's another, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He is the all-time NBA scorer for now, has been for about 40 years now. Well, when he came into the league from UCLA, the, the NBA banned the slam dunk. And this is funny. They, they banned the slam dunk because they felt like it gave tall players an unfair advantage. Imagine the NBA doing things because tall people had an advantage. But anyway, they banned the dunk, and he was furious by that, understandable, because it changed his game. But rather than get stuck, he worked with coaches to develop his shot called the sky hook, which was essentially unblockable. You, could not you couldn't get high enough and close enough to block the sky hook. And so he, all-time leading scorer. If the dunk wasn't banned and he didn't have to walk through it, he probably would have just been a great basketball player, but not like all-time leading scorer. He developed an unstoppable shot because of 
a limitation or a setback. So, so we got to have the mindset and the understanding. I hope you see this throughout some of the scriptures and things we share today. That setbacks are not always a bad thing. They're undesirable, but they can do great things in our lives if we don't allow ourselves to get stuck. And so often we get stuck for a lot of different reasons, and we don't fight through it. So here's this, this little uh, cartoon hung on the wall of my first job, Lee's Bait and Tackle, in Maslin, Ohio. And I've never forgotten it. And it's that concept of, man, just keep fighting. Don't let the setback stop you. Push through it. Keep fighting. With God in the mix, there's always a chance, right? We're never out of the game when God is with us and for us. So with all that in mind, <clears throat> let's turn to Scripture. And I'm going to start with one of the most famous stories in the Bible, and certainly when it comes to the underdog and um, uh, um, overcoming a challenge, the story of David and Goliath is one that should pop into our mind. It's almost cliché. Uh, the, and, and I hope that we'll, we can look into some of the nuances of the story and, and maybe find some, some different ideas than just run in and slay the giant. Okay, I think there's some very practical points of application from the story of David and Goliath. So, I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel 17, and I'm going to start with verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines, those are the bad guys, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was nine feet. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of metal, like those metal rings. And the weight of the coat was 120 pounds of bronze. And he had, a bronze, he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spear's head weighed 14 pounds in iron. He stood and shouted in the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Saul was the king of Israel. Choose a man from yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will all be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So the imagery here is they're drawn up on this battlefield and every day they go and get in a line to fight and Goliath steps out and he's screaming at these at the whole army, pick somebody. Right here, cage match to the death. And they're all terrified because they see this formidable opponent. <clears throat> in verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, let me back up, um, David, he's probably 14 years old, 
he's delivering some supplies um, day after day. This giant shows up and does the same thing, and he hears it. He's delivering some supplies, some supplies for his brothers, and he goes to the leadership and says, let me fight him. I'll fight him. And um, they laugh, and then he's, like, insistent. Then they say, okay, we'll have David fight him, and then when Goliath kills him, we'll rush. We've got to fight this battle anyway. That'll be our battle cry. Goliath kills David, the child, and then we'll rush in and see what we can do, okay? <clears throat> so that's the setup. Then David said to Philistine, so it's go time. David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines, the army of the Philistines, this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And then he does some Colin McGregor stuff. <laughs> but like they're just wanting him to go get beat by, and he's like talking smack at a high level. He grew up with brothers. Now notice the carefully chosen words in the story. I think a lot of the power of the story is in the details. When David calls things out, he says, it's not about your armor. It's not about your height. It's about what God can do. See, the Israelites, what we get here in this imagery is that the Israelites had gotten paralyzed because they were focused only they were focused on one of two things, and I want you to think about this. The two things are focused on, and then think about your battles in life that you have to face and what you're focused on. Okay, they first, they, they focused on, on the obstacle, on the size of the enemy, on the armor, on the enormous frame of Goliath. Because the Bible, the Bible says for 40 days, he would walk out and taunt them. Just walk out and taunt them. And nobody had the guts to take him on for 40 days. They were focused, think about that, 40 days, that's probably all they could think about. All day long and all night was the overwhelming obstacle in front of them because they focused only on Goliath and his size. And how often, I mean, I, I'm right at the front of the line with this. I'm, I'm, I'm an anxious warrior a lot of the time. I've gotten a lot better, but... How many 3 a.m. sessions do I have thinking about everything that can go wrong? I can tell you a lot more about what could potentially go wrong often than, than like, this is what could go right. The other thing they focused on was themselves. Like, they knew their inadequacies compared to the, the problem. And, 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 so, and so they got hung up and paralyzed because they had focused on the size of the obstacle and their own personal inadequacies. And I think that, that 
a good portion of this is just for you and I to ask, what do we focus on? What are we focused on? Think about those things that we're struggling with, the obstacles we face. What are we focused on? And if we're hung up, it's probably because we're looking primarily at the size of the problem or we're thinking about ourselves and our own inadequacies and all the reasons that we aren't good enough or that we can't overcome whatever it is that we're facing. Now, how did the story end? <clears throat> we all know the story. David chose five smooth stones and what was his weapon? A sling. One of those. Okay. And he ran at Goliath with those five stones. He refused armor for himself. And he ran at Goliath with a sling. And the first shot, boom, sunk deep into Goliath's forehead and dropped him. Now, here's the deal it's not all that crazy. It's not all that miraculous. In fact, modern Vegas odds would have probably put the money on David. Why? Because the sling in that day and time was deadly. Shepherds were assassins with slings because they had so much practice with it. In fact, uh, in, in Rome, the, the, Roman, the Roman army used slingshots. They, they used slings uh, like their slingmen were, were like their snipers. So this was actually the perfect weapon to fight Goliath. You could stand at a distance, and, and they, they, were, they were pinpoint, deadly accurate. But I think there's gobs of things that we can learn and apply from the story. Because the truth is, like David... He wasn't concerned about Goliath at all. And this is, this is for me, to me, this is the real miracle of the story. It's not in that, like, like it, I think it's, it's, it's fairly reasonable that this 14-year-old with pinpoint accuracy with a projectile deadly weapon beat a giant guy. I mean, all Goliath was was a big target. The miracle in the story is that David didn't seem to see the obstacle at all. I mean, most 14-year-olds would still be terrified by, but David only focused on the size of God. Like, like, like for him, it wasn't just Goliath. He's like, no, the whole army, the whole Philistine army is going to be bird food. Vultures are going to be loving life this afternoon. Like, he was so convinced of the size of his God that the size of the obstacle meant nothing. And that's the kind of faith I want. I don't often have it, to be clear. But that's the kind of faith I want to where I'm not even looking at the size of the obstacle because the size of my God is so big that the size of the obstacle doesn't even matter. That's, that's the power in the story. Now let me talk some application here. How can we put this into practice in our real life? Because if you're like me, you have very real things that you're concerned about. God bless you if you don't. Like if you can walk through life with no concerns, good for you. You're awesome. Check out now. Go have some Bob Evans or whatever. You, you know, I got nothing for you. You got it figured out. Better yet, just get up here and teach. First point of application is, and I do, I've done this for a long, long time. Don't try to avoid thinking about the things you're worried about and concerned about. Embrace them 
write them down. You're thinking about them anyway. Like, you're not fooling it. Like, like you can try to not think. I'm just not going to think about it. Well, guess what? It's down there. So I'm a big advocate for writing out everything you hate about your life, everything you hate about yourself, everything you hate about others, everything you're worried about, every obstacle in life, everything you're afraid. Write it all out. It's there anyway. You might as well have it out to where you can deal with it, okay? And then once you have those things on your mind that, that, are, that are driving you insane, I want you to think about Romans 8, 28. Okay, this, this, here's, here's what I can tell you is true about God no matter what. Romans 8, 28, this is one you all should memorize. And we know that God works for the good of all. Different version. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I have the NIV version memorized. The promise here is that no matter what you're going through, God will use it for your good. No matter what you're going through, God will use He doesn't say, this doesn't say, that God's going to answer your prayer your way. It doesn't say that you're going to get that promotion. It doesn't say that your grown kid is going to turn it around and do smart stuff. It doesn't say you're going to find love or that your spouse is going to change or that you're going to get that healing miracle. What it says is that in all... It doesn't say that God caused what you're going through in order to do something. Big difference there. It says no matter what you're going through, God will use it for your good somehow. And sometimes that's all the promise you get and that's all the promise you need. No matter what you're going through, no matter how it turns out, God will use it for good somehow. And you look at that list of everything that you're concerned about and you say, okay, this could go wrong and this could go wrong and this could go wrong. And somehow, God is still going to use it for good. Now that practice, I do that. Like seriously, I, I do this. And it helps a lot. Doesn't like take the fear away completely, but it knocks it down quite a bit so that maybe instead of being a nervous wreck, I can at least have some, some peace knowing, you know what? Even so, God will use this for my good. Because that's, that's part of focusing on the size of God. It's moving past feeling, I gotta have my miracle my way. And instead, God is big enough to use this for my good, and he will. So that's my first little application. My point of application there is, is, is write it all down and, 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 and memorize Romans 8, 28. God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him who are called according. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. No matter what, God will use it for good in your life. And that's a promise that you have that nothing and no one can take from you. Apply it to whatever you're going through. Focus on the size of God and his ability to use it, no matter what it is, rather than the size of the problem. Here's the second thing. For me, this is, this is, um, this is my favorite part about the story in terms of what I can apply to my life. You could say that um, 
Well, the battle was fought on um, the battlefield. The battle was won in the pasture years prior. So David fought the battle with Goliath on the battlefield, but the battle was really won those years while David was a shepherd in the fields with the sheep. Let me explain. Back to 1 Samuel 17. Your servant used to keep sheep. David's talking to the leadership in, in Israel. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. That's David. David's referring to himself. And when there came a lion or bear and took, the, took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine, that was his way of saying, this, this, Phil, this, this pagan who doesn't follow God, he'll, not, he'll be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. So David refers back to his time shepherding. And it was those hours and hours and hours in the mundane. Boy, imagine how boring that would be in the wicked hot heat in an open field looking after sheep. Boring? Oh my gosh. And what historians say, that one of the reasons shepherds were so deadly with the sling is because that's all they had to do is pass the time. Just get stones and practice hitting stuff. And so they're become deadly with the sling and they have these moments where these battles arise out of nowhere with a wild animal a bear a lion and they got to fight that and then we learn elsewhere that david spent a lot of his time in in the shepherding uh, pastures thinking about the greatness of god and writing and singing about the greatness of god so the truth is david was well prepared in the mundane boring seasons of life <clears throat> he was prepared for the battle so that's my second point of application is in the normal everyday build a giant slaying routine sounds cheesy okay but when we get to the battlefield we will have we will be where we are with what we've brought to the table because the truth is God could have used for other 14-year-olds in that situation, but a lot of them, like, like, he didn't just pick somebody who was doing whatever with no practical skills, and, you know, he didn't pick some lazy 14-year-old that had no... They would have probably ran the other way in the moment. Instead, David was there. He saw the situation. He had the skills. He had the mindset. He had the faith in God. Because of the mundane, he was prepared for the moment of battle. You with me on that? Like there's more to the story than just some kid picked up a sling. There was preparation there. <clears throat> Here's a little riddle that I use more and more in life. The older I get, the more I see it true. <clears throat> How many pickles can God fit in a 10-pickle jar? How many pickles can God fit in a 10-pickle jar? The answer? As many as he wants. But usually, 10. Usually 10. God usually does 
in context of what is there available from what we bring him. And so while God could do anything through anybody, I mean, he could have had Stevie Wonder kill Goliath with a sling. But that's typically not how he rolls. We have what we've done, and God uses that in the moment. Okay, here's my point, and here's my, here's my application. For me, there's, for me, there's a big three. Your moment of trial is going to hit, <clears throat> and you're going to be at that table with what you've done in your daily routine of life, and you're going to have that to face whatever, and God's going to use that. And God may do something above and beyond that, hopefully, but for the most part, he's going to use what we brought him and work with that to start. So for me, there's like these three things. Number one, you should be reading from the teachings of Jesus from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John almost every day. Five minutes a day, almost every day. Because you need to be familiar with the words, teachings, and encouragement and promises of Jesus. Because when you're there in the ER, or when the problem hits, God probably is not going to infuse Gospel Jesus knowledge into your brain to help you Pick, to help pick you up with that. But if it's there, he'll use it. And so take the time in a normal season, if there is such a thing, to familiarize yourself with the words and teachings and examples and encouragements and promises of Jesus because then when you face temptation or anything else, you'll have it and you'll see God use it. So that's the first thing is just you're going to face something and it's going to be better for you to have a brain filled with scripture. So start on it now. Secondly, it's, it's, it's friendships within the church. It's community and people, other people on a faith journey with you. Invest in that now. That's what's going to get you through difficult seasons of life are your friendships with people who are following Jesus, who are praying for you, who can help you, who are trained from Jesus to be compassionate towards you and helpful towards you and know how to encourage you, who God can speak through. Oh my gosh, to be surrounded with people that God can speak to you through, that's huge. You're probably not going to hit a difficult season and miraculously you have deep Christian community that you've never done anything to build. Like, we're going to try to be there for you if we know, but it's not going to be the same. Whereas if you work now in mundane seasons to build friendships with followers of Jesus, then you'll have that for the battlefield moment. And if you want to start, come find me. I will find non-awkward ways for you to begin building friendships with people at Polaris. I will get you where you need to go to make that happen. But don't expect when it hits that all of a sudden, and then the other thing that I talk about is that I, that I find myself more and more realizing, that's physical health. Now, I'm not, you know, Dwayne Johnson, obviously. I'm not David Hasselhoff up here. But I do work hard on that just the 80%. You know, like cardio health, try to eat semi-healthy. Because what I'm finding out is during stressful seasons of life, you, a, a lot of your experience during that is, is what you've done on your, with your physical health. Like my lower 20% is really bad. Cheese sticks, tons of caffeine, chicken wings, and enough Diet Coke to fill Brunswick Lake. Okay? 
but 80%, so I'm not talking about the picture, like fitness guru, I'm just saying you're going to have at the battlefield what you have brought to the table and your physical health, everything you do for God and for others funnels first through your body, so you might as well take a little bit of care of it, like take care of it a, a little bit. So those are the, for me, for me the battlefield's going to happen, and the outcome will be determined by what God has to use and what God's going to do through you, which is very heavily influenced through the scripture that's in your brain, the relationships you have, and what you've done physically with yourself to be ready in that moment. So those three things are huge to do in the mundane so that you're ready on the battlefield because when the trial hits, while God can do anything, he is probably going to start with what you have offered him and what he has to work with right there and energize that and work through that. And so we need to take the opportunity of the mundane very, very seriously. Okay, homework. Read back through uh, 1 Samuel 17 and look for all of that. Look at how David focuses on the size of God instead of the size of the obstacle. And then look at how he was shaped by the work that he had put in up to that point and how God used that and energized that to do great things and understand that no matter what you're going through, God is huge, way bigger than whatever you're facing, and he will use whatever you're facing for good so we can trust that God is with us and God is for us. And because of that, we got this. We're going to do one last song. Let's pray. God, thank you for the promises of Scripture. Thank you that you will work out anything for our good. And I pray that you would help us and inspire trust within us to believe that. And I pray that this week as we have opportunities to better ourselves, that we would do so that, so that we are prepared for you to work through us and in us in whatever season of life we're in and whatever we're facing. In Jesus' name, amen.